Hello and welcome to the very first Rusted Joke Extra. Um, what we all wanted to do, or certainly what I wanted to do, don't think the others know that I'm doing this, but anyway, I'm trying it anyway. Um, what we all wanted to do was to give you a bit of a more of an insight into maybe what the actors were thinking at the time, or you know, some of the questions that, that you might have that you would love to see posed. Well, you're in luck. We've been, I, I've been in discussions and I'm very happy to say that uh, the Bobby Wigan archive has given me permission in order to use some of the interviews. Bobby Wigan is a legend, absolute legend. Um, she started at WBAP TV um, in 1948. Uh, she's worked 64, 64 years in, uh, on NBC5. Um, a, a break came in 1960 where she filled in for the Dateline host. Uh, because the host was off with flu um, and has just interviewed everybody. She has been interviewee to the stars and she's been interviewer, sorry, to the stars uh, and she's been fantastic. So I would like to thank the Bobby Wigan archive. I will put that down a link in the uh, uh, description. Uh, do, please do subscribe because there's a wealth of interviews and there's certainly some either side of the 80s that I that we won't get to. But yes, thanks very much to Eric uh, at ecfilms.net. So yeah, so I, I, we started with Fatal Attraction. You would have seen the scores that we gave. We gave very high scores. Uh, but I wanted to use some of the footage that, that we were allowed to use. Uh, again, thank you. Um, in order to show you what the the actors and actresses were thinking. Uh, and some of the uh, things that we talked about in the podcast, which they may answer. So what we're going to do is we're going to start it off. Uh, we're going to start with Glenn Close. So enjoy. And here's Glenn Close. Okay, so first up is Glenn Close, uh, who will be posed some questions by Bobby. And let's hear some of the uh, answers that she gives. Well, Glenn, I was looking forward to seeing you because I remember when you were in Dallas last that we had a very nice visit in your hotel suite, and so it's wonderful to see you again, especially when we have something like Fatal Attraction to talk about. I want to tell you, that is a heart-pounding movie. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I kept wondering. I've never had any Valium, but I kept thinking maybe, maybe I need some Valium. Wow, some kind of movie. I... I Please don't think I'm psyching you out or anything, but do you feel an Oscar nomination coming on? Oh, God. <laughs> right. So before she answers that, um, I can spoil this for you. Not that I am spoiling something that was made in 1987 uh, or in the Oscars in 1988. Um, but she does. She does get nominated. Uh, actress in a leading role. Um, along with Best Picture, Best Director, Actress in a Supporting Role for Anne Archer, but we'll get to her in a moment, Screenplay by James Dearden, and Film Editing by Michael Kahn and Peter E. Berger. Now, there's someone missing from that. Hmm. We may get to that. But yes, uh, for Oscars-wise, she did get nominated. Unfortunately, she didn't win. I try not to think about that at all. It's just, I just, I don't, I always think it's, I'm very superstitious. It makes me very nervous when people talk like that. <laughs> so it's, Can I just say that it's more than worthy? Well, thank you. It, it's truly the first woman performance I've seen this year that I thought was a shoe-in for a nomination. I the first woman performance. Well, we are, uh, we are in the 80s. But yes, uh, 
Bobby's right to praise her, and yeah, even though she didn't win the Oscar, uh, she did win Best Character uh, for, in the Online Film and TV Association Awards, uh, where Fatal Attraction was won Best Film. Um, she also got a Golden Camera in in 1987 for Best Actress as well. So, uh, yeah, she also got a Golden, Golden Globe nomination. So we're right to heap praise on her, because I think... If you've listened to the main podcast, she does an amazing job. Uh, she is incredible in this film, but not many of my other cohorts maybe not think the same, but you'll have to go back and listen to the main podcast. But let's hear what else she's got to say. I really think it is. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's great. You're from your lips to God's ears. <laughs> but not to the Academy. Is it true, Glenn, that you were not first choice for this role? I think it was true, yeah, because I really had to fight to get this role. Now, this is, I think, is a really harsh question. You know what? Did you not think that maybe you're not first choice for the film, that there were other people that were considered, you know, ahead of you? Um, there were. There were people. And if you listen to the main co- podcast, we do listen to a few. We do list a few, sorry. But how about this? Um, Glenn, Clo- uh, Glenn Close um, was going to be uh, replaced by Kirsty Alley. Um, Kirstie Alley actually uses her audition, her husband's Parker Stevenson's stalker's words, word for word on the tape that Michael Douglas plays in the car. Um, other people that were considered for the role, Elizabeth Shue, Sally Field. Elizabeth Shue was doing uh, Adventures in Babysitting. Sally Field thought that the character was not what her audience would would expect. Uh, Gilda Radner, Faye Dunaway, Mia Farrow, Jellica Houston were also considered. Judy Davis, uh, Barbara Hershey, Miranda Richardson, Debbie Winger, and Adrian Lynn asked Tracy Ullman to audition. So this could have been a completely different film, and it's it's very hard to imagine Fatal Attraction without Glenn Close. Do you know anybody else they were considering? Um, I heard you know a list of names, but I don't know who was their first choice. Um, I don't know if they'd really gotten that far, but I knew they just didn't think of me in a role like this. I can't imagine why. Well, I can't either, but I suppose it was it's so different from the kinds of roles I've done before. But you have always demonstrated that range, or at least I I felt that you you had that range. And that's I guess really what they were looking for because physically and everything else you're right for it, aren't you? Oh, I think so. I just, I loved the part when I read the script and I felt that it was a chance to play a woman that was more than just a kind of generic psychopath that this you could uh it was a, a chance to show a, a truly tragic character in the context of this kind of film and i think we can agree that i think we can agree what she brings to the role some of those other names that are mentioned um certainly i couldn't imagine elizabeth shoe in this role for example i couldn't imagine her as the as the the, the scorned lover yes you see that in Cocktail, but it's hardly worthy of uh, of an Oscar nomination. I don't think anyone could consider Cocktail for, for Oscar nominations. Good film that it may be. But th- I think she brings, I think Glenn Close brings the gravitas here that's needed for this role. And, and you could actually put somebody like Faye Dunaway in. But don't forget, only a few years ago, she'd made Supergirl. And the less said about that, the better. But I do look at that list and I do... Um, Joe and I on on the podcast have played What If when we moved, looked at other people really you know that would have been considered for a role and whether or not they'd actually 
actually work. Um, I can't imagine anybody else in this role except Glenn Close. So I think it's great. But we do have a very awkward question coming up. So do listen. And I thought it was very exciting. I'm sorry. Is this the first time you've had to do any nude scenes? Here we go. I did a very brief nude scene in The Big Chill when I was crying in the shower. True. Yeah, I'd forgotten um, about that. I think, I think that's all, yeah. Was that any problem for you, and did you have to think about that before you took the role? Well, um, you, always, you don't want to have, I didn't want to have any kind of just uh, exploitive or token nudity, um, but this is a very sexual story. And I thought the nudity was real. And in fact, the scene um, when I kicked Michael out, we discussed whether I would try to keep covering myself up or just play it the way it would play in real life. And, I, you know, to me, there was, no, there was no question that you should just do it the way it would actually happen because then you don't have to be self-conscious. I also, it's a very strange thing. It's very hard for people to understand um, what it's like to, to do something like that because you are an actor. You're not really the person that's, that's doing that. And I, and I have a tremendous trust for Adrian, for Michael, and for the members of the crew who I'd really come to have great affection for and to really trust. And so uh, I felt that it was all right. And, it- and I, I, I find especially the question that's going to come uh, immediately after this, She's very confident in, in answering that question. We do know that Adrian Lynn used handheld cameras and made everyone, you know, feel very comfortable in the, in the film when he was filming the sex scenes. But equally, look at what she's trying to do here. She's going, I could have just played it and gone a bit um, modest about things, but I wanted to play it how, how I thought it would play out. Um, again, this is somebody perfectly right for the role that's actually giving the director and, uh, uh, you know... A, her, her fullest uh, feedback on this and she's actually made the scene probably a lot better than it than it would have been and it was really a, a marvelously cathartic experience it's you know funnily enough really in what way um i don't know it's just you know you 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 really uh commit yourself to something and you just leap into it and it's it's a wonderful feeling to to do that did you discuss it ahead of time with your husband no has he seen Awkward the movie? Awkward question. Uh, no. Do you want him Not to yet. see it? Um, oh, yeah, he'll see it. Are you a little nervous about his reaction? Uh, um, I think he might find it a bit tough. No. I also know that... that the ending we see now is not the original ending. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't want to give too much away, but if you had your choice, which ending would you go with? I'd go with this ending. This one? Mm -hmm. What was it about the first ending that you didn't like, or why would you prefer Well, I liked the first ending, too. You know, again, I was committed to that. Oh, right. So she gives the first answer, which is the, the film studio answer. Yeah, yeah, I, I like this ending. I think it's great. I think it's wonderful. What didn't you like about the first one? Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I never said I wasn't going to... Uh, I didn't like the first ending. I, I loved the first ending. You know, I was very committed to that. How committed, you ask? Very committed. Because she refused to take part. She refused to do the the, the reshoot. 
Uh, Adrian Lin, the director, got one and a half million to do the reshoot. So that, that's him sorted. Um, uh, she refused to take part. Her Michael Douglas got into an argument because he thought that the ending that you see in the cinema, rather than the alternate ending, which we discussed on the podcast, was a better was a better ending. Uh, I agree. I think this the ending that we see is a better ending. It doesn't mean that the first one isn't great, but Glenn Close refused to do it, um, and it took a conversation with William Hurt, um, who was a good friend of hers, to convince her to reshoot it. So what you're seeing here, the rest of it, you are seeing basically an actor doesn't uh, an actress who you know, which you could say that then, who didn't want to rock the boat. So listen on. And um it was an adjustment to to work out the second ending, but now Big I think that it was the right thing to do. I think it um it it finish it uh it actually gives my character a, uh, a chance to show another side, um, as as tortured as she is, and it was certainly an acting challenge, and I always am up for that. <laughs> was it a totally different ending? And again, I'm not trying to give away the ending, but for I know people are going to see this movie. Right, right. So, was it a totally different ending? It was pretty different, yeah. But yeah. it's you know silly to talk about it because this is this is the ending. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think it's the right one. This is the ending. Uh, well, you know what? I can't really say anything because this is the ending. This is the this is the one that they picked. Well, okay. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, Got to get back on track. Uh, but it's the right one. Mm. And um, I think it's more satisfying, actually. Of all the roles you've yeah. done, how would you put this one? Would it be your favorite, your second, or your third favorite? I, you know, I, I find it very difficult to judge or to kind of list the parts that I've played like that. I think I'm always, hopefully, will be the highest on the thing I've just done. And, and this certainly is the case. I had a magnificent time doing this film. I adored working with Adrian Lyne. I felt we had a very special collaboration, and I loved working with Michael and with Anne. And it was a fabulous experience, I think, for everybody concerned. Very exciting. Everybody was very challenged, uh, from the prop man, <laughs> you know, <laughs> everybody. Have you come down from doing that because obviously you had to be in a highly emotional state most of the time you were doing the picture. It was very tough. I mean, there were some days that I almost couldn't walk physically after working. It was so exhausting totally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. I can believe that. Yeah. <laughs> well, Glenn, again, it's wonderful having a chance to meet you it's and talk to with you again. again. And congratulations on a wonderful performance. And she's not going to hear me say this, but look for her at the Academy Awards. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, she was there. She just didn't win. Um, anyway, uh, on to Anne Archer. I like this. I love this interview. I think Bobby White does a great job of just asking the right questions on this. But... Anne Archer is very, very, you can tell that she's very proud of being part of this. So I'm just going to let her speak and I'll, I'll just interrupt in a moment. 
Well, Anne, it's good to see you again. I was really excited about the fact that I was going to have a chance to see you here in New York. Normally, we talk when you're in Texas. That's all right. But um, anyway, what a roller coaster ride this is. Wow. wow. Yeah. What was your reaction the first time you saw it all put together? Oh, I was pretty overwhelmed. It, it has quite an emotional impact, and uh, I realized how brilliant... Adrian was not only as a, shooting the film, but as in editing the film. I mean, he really had a vision and a style, and it was sensational. So it was quite an experience. Was it surprising to you to get this kind of role? No, I think I'm perfect for it. <laughs> you are marvelous in it, but somehow I just wondered if, if in the when you first went for it, if they just, uh, you know, had some doubts about whether or not you would be right for this. Uh, now, okay, I've just said that Bobby's questions are quite good. That's quite a bad one. Uh, yeah, how did you know they thought, think they might be right? Do you think might be right for this role? I mean, if they think you're going to be right for this role, then... <clears throat> and Ann Archer just takes it in her stride. She's got such a lovely... She's got a, such a lovely face, complexion. She's beautiful. She's got a lovely smile. And again, she just comes, how would you respond if you were asked that question? Yeah, well, anyway, this is how she responds. Well, I know that um, they saw everybody in Hollywood in New York and they, they had a hard time making up their mind. Now, for her role, they actually uh, looked at uh, Bonnie Bedelia, uh, who at that time had yet to make Die Hard. So she's a... Uh, uh, Holly Gennaro or Holly McLean in Die Hard. Uh, Cynthia Rhodes uh, uh, turned down. Uh, Andy McDowell, which we talked about in the main podcast, uh, was up for the role as well. So, yeah, Can, if I put those three, again, if you did the same with Glenn Close, try and put those actresses in and see whether or not you think they work. Um, Anne Archer might be the strongest thing in this film, and that's that's quite a, a statement to make, considering the calibre of the, the people that are in this film and the, the level of acting that we see. But anyway, I'll let her continue. Uh, it worked out well. It's certainly something I wanted to do and needed. And uh, I, I wanted to be in a very good picture. I'd been fighting a long time. I've had a long career, and it's been hard. So it was obviously something I really wanted to do. I'm philosophical about these things now. I mean, you get beat around in this business long enough and you sort of, you know, you, you, you get pretty, a pretty tough hide after a while. So when I met on it, uh, obviously I wanted it, uh, but you just don't know. And um, when it worked out, it, it was quite a thrill for me because everyone in the movie and the producers and the director and the studio were all people that I wanted to be associated with and had wanted all my life since I was a little girl. So from that standpoint, it was it was one of my more thrilling moments when I got the role, needless to say. <laughs> and look at that. She means that. She means all of these people that I wanted to work with, I got to work with. You know, she gen genuinely wants to be in this film. You know, she talks about how, I think she's very proud of what she's done. And she should be. Um, when she talks about thrilling moments, um, oh, Anne Archer, you're just, you're just wonderful. There's a reason, there's another reason why I like Anne Archer so much. She's Jack Ryan's wife in Patriot Games. Um, better than Gates McFadden in Hunt for Red October, even though Harrison Ford uh, will never be my Jack Ryan. It'll always be Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin, Jack Ryan, love you. 
And if you were in the same situation your character is in, how do you think you would handle it? Just the same. <laughs> <laughs> we're laughing because we can't give away the ending, but <laughs> absolutely. You wouldn't go over the edge that much, would you? Absolutely. Me over I don't think I was over the edge at all. <laughs> I think I was right on. <laughs> well, really, last night's audience clapped. Yeah. At the ending. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, we don't get this in the UK, or we we didn't get it. I mean, it, it happens a couple of times. But I went to the uh, the first time I went over to the states to actually go into a, a, a movie theater, as it were, in order to see something was uh, Jurassic Park: The Lost World. Uh, and everyone clapped at the end, and I'd heard that this is what happened, but U.S. audiences just went mad. And I, I know there are people when I came home, and I went, "Oh, did you realise that they clap in the audience? It's 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 amazing. It's great." And they went, "What? That's a bit extreme. It's a bit over the top. You know, why are you clapping a film? It's not going to hear you. It's not going to you know you don't. It's not going to give it any recognition." And I just thought, no. When everybody clapped, I felt part of a moment. And then fast forward to everyone cheering in Endgame and all those sorts of things. And, and I just think that, yeah, people clapping a film is a, is a sign of appreciation. So I've no, I've no doubt that this film got many claps uh, over its many screenings. But yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm team clap. Is, if that's a thing, can I say that? Probably a British reference. Anyway, doesn't matter. Well, I know it really hits home for a lot of people. The, the, the old joke is no one will ever want to do it again with anybody, not even their husband or their wife, <laughs> after seeing this movie. So, I don't know. But uh, it has an impact. This ending is different from the original ending. Here we go. The original ending didn't involve you quite as much, and we can't give any more than that away. I'm sorry. Well, the original ending involved me more. Oh, it did? Oh, much more. Yeah. I have been misinformed then. Yeah, Such a researcher. Which ending do you prefer? Here we go. Well, I think <laughs> that this one works for the picture better. I think it works for the picture better. <laughs> so, if, you, if you're looking for a diplomatic way of saying, ah, oh, I can't stand it, personally, um, then that's how, that's how she says it. It works for the picture better. It doesn't work for me better. It doesn't work for, you know, my artistic creation integrity of what I do. You know, the, what happened is, as soon as she read that the, the ending was going to be changed, Anne Archer cried. She wept buckets because she preferred the original ending. And if you haven't seen it, I, 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 would, I would suggest you go and watch it. Um, depending on the version you watch and which country you watch, you might actually see the original ending as part of the film. But I would say that she's great in both endings. She's, she's wonderful. Yes, I prefer the theatrical version, but she's right to be upset because... She took part in something that she thought everyone's on board here. The director's on board. Glenn Close is on board. I'm on board. Michael Douglas wasn't on board. And that seemed to be the thing. And that Michael Douglas in the studio obviously did something. But yeah, um, she does say something else that is going to be very telling. But we'll get to that in a moment. And we all know that that's the bottom line. And so. there it is, the bottom line. It's, I have to be philosophical about that, too. <laughs> I have to be diplomatic well, about that. Well, this one that. tested better, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that's what I'm going to give you. It tested better. Well, if it tested better, I suppose we've got to give the crowd what they want. It doesn't matter about what I think, but yeah. Okay. 
But that's the bottom line. It's all about the money and it's all about raking it in. Of all the roles you've done, is there, would, would you put this one like number one or number three or? Well, I think in terms of a quality film, this is obviously uh, number one. Uh, it, it's, it was a happy experience from the first day all the way through. Uh, I knew I was working with great people and it was a pleasure for me. Um, uh, I've had bigger roles, but not in as good projects. So I would have to, since the most pleasure is to be in the best project, I would have to put this at the top of the list. One question I did have. Oh, she's so great. Let's just, oh, oh. oh. About the movie, maybe you can enlighten me a little bit. When the little girl goes off from school with Glenn Close, I couldn't understand why the child did that. Well, I mean, it happens all the time. I think sometimes... Uh, it's the big fear and danger with children that someone will come along and say, I was just with your mommy, and this happened and that happened, and she asked me if I couldn't just take care of you for a few hours, and, and so we're just going to go kill a few hours before I take you home. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, it happens all the time in life, so um, that's why you try and teach your children not to do that. But if someone is enough of a con artist and clever enough, they can be pretty convincing. And she was that. Yeah, yeah. she was that. Well, and again, very nice to see you, and nice congratulations, you a really wonderful performance. Oh, I loved you. your performance. Thank you very much. And I like the film a lot, Great, too. great. Thank, thank you. you. Oh, there we go. Love that. Uh, but anyway, now, let's see what Michael Douglas thinks. So where do you start with Michael Douglas? I mean... Okay, we'll go. We'll go into it in a moment about career history to date at this time. But my goodness, does this guy look just oozes movie star? Just oozes charisma, exactly like his father. Just oh, it's just he is wonderful, and it won't be the uh, the last time that we hear from him on Rusted Junk. There'll be many times that will be covered, and many films that we'll talk about. But. Um, it's interesting in this one, uh, and the reason why I went with Glenn Close and Anne Archer first is they don't talk about the other ending with him. It's almost as if like steer clear, don't talk, don't talk about the other the other ending. Although they do go into some of the areas, especially what Glenn, that Glenn Close was uh, uh, having to talk about. But anyway, let's see what uh, let's see where this goes. Well, Michael, we've been sitting here chatting away because we have talked before. And I was telling you, I think you just have a major hit on your hands with oh, Fatal Attraction. Thank you. Bob. It lived up to the advanced things that I had heard about it. Uh, one of the things I wanted to to ask you about, Michael, uh, is that you have such a strong screen presence. Your dad has that. Is that something that you learned from him, or what? Well, I that's that's. <clears throat> It's interesting you could say that because I think my father has an extraordinary presence. And one of the things that took me a while to develop as an actor was just my confidence. Uh, when you have somebody who's such a, you know, a strong persona. So I think, I think part of presence, certain people are just lucky enough to photograph well. But in my case, I think it was just a, a gradual uh, level of confidence and with Fatal Attraction, which uh, 
was a part which is very close to me. And one of the things you find out as you act more and more, it's difficult to play yourself. It's always easier to get, hide behind a character. Uh, but particularly when you're in a film, when you're in literally every scene and on screen, you always struggle with a feeling like I have to do something. And for me, this is a wonderful exercise in sort of self-control and feeling that your own, just your presence there will, will, will carry through. Uh, so it was, it was a, something I learned over a period of time. So... I think this is quite modest when he said it's a gradual level of confidence. You know, even his dad had to start out somewhere. All actors do. And, you know, maybe you get a breakout performance. Maybe you get a first initial performance and then they never quite live up to, you know, the the, the hope and the, the quality that you saw originally. Michael Douglas is consistent all the way through. But let's look at 1987 for him as a year. Let's also look at the another film that came out this year, Wall Street. The character of Gordon Gecko is iconic. You know, the character of Dan Gallagher in Fatal Attraction is iconic. Two iconic characters come out in the same year. And he talks about level of confidence. Well, let's look at that confidence. He starts on TV with the streets of San Francisco. But he starts, he was a producer in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in the 70s. He was a producer. He was a producer for Romancing the Stone. He was a producer for Jewel of the Nile. He's, he's already learning all aspects of the ropes. He's already building that level of confidence, but then steps into it as an actor. Coma. Coma's an amazing film, as is China Syndrome. The Star Chamber, we talked about it on the podcast. He is incredible in that film. But then comes his breakout, Re, uh, Romancing the Stone. So popular that they went straight into filming for the sequel, and a year later, the sequel co comes out. So I think he really does sort of does take the modest approach on this. Whereas even now at Fatal Attraction, you know, you can see that he's a top, he's, he's confidence is an all time high. So anyway, let's have a little more, a uh, little more of a listen. Michael, I have to ask you, did you get a note from your wife to do those sex scenes? <laughs> well, my wife hasn't seen the movie yet. And so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to wait for her, uh, for her response on that. But, We've been married uh, a little over 10 years now, and uh, she's been through this a number of times with Kathleen Turner and uh, the other pictures and other pictures that I've done. And I think that uh, it took her a long time, but she's not in the business. And I think she's finally realized the ability to separate uh, love scenes, which are not uh, the easiest things to ever do, especially when you've just met somebody, as I had with, with Glenn Close, uh, between uh, any real dangers that might exist. Did you do those love scenes and sex scenes early on in the shooting or later? About halfway through, about halfway through. And uh, they're always awkward. Part of it is for technical reasons, because you're so close, uh, you may block each other with the camera and there's lights and all of that, and that's part of it. And the other aspect uh, is just uh, being intimate with somebody that you uh, don't know. But I always thought, uh, growing up that when I watch films that they film them in a linear order it starts with the first bit it then goes into and they work through the script and they go through the whole thing and it came as a real bolt out of the blue to me to for to know that it doesn't work like that that they film things in different orders and they start with that or they might start um I we know that they didn't start with the ending 
but it's pretty quick until he gets it, you know, um, in with Glenn Close. So when he talks about about halfway, is he filming some of the the later scenes where she attacks him with a knife before they've had a chance to do all of that? In which case, that's a bit freaky, and and that's what I can't understand. So, yay, go linear filmmaking. Like I make a podcast, a podcast linear. We don't record the end bit. We don't record, you know, trivia time first. And so, yeah, I'm definitely in for that. But anyway, back to Michael. But hopefully it helps if you like each other. You know, if you're basically, I, I fortunately have never been involved in a picture with a, a leading lady that I hated. And uh, that obviously makes it a lot more difficult. But it's sort of funny because you'll do a take and you stop, and like any other scene, well, how was that? I said, gee, that was good, but you know, I think we're maybe, you know, maybe, maybe we're missing the moment of insertion. Yeah, that's right. We'll have to figure that out. Or, or what if I do this, or I'll grab you here and suck here, or do this. That's interesting. And then you go, okay, roll them, and then you jump into this whole thing, and, uh, uh, and but that's, that's part of the job, and it's difficult, but, you know, somebody's got to do it, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. If we may, for just a second, can I ask you, do you plan to do another Jewel of the Nile or another sequel? Uh, we do. Matter of fact, um, I'm uh, working with a with a, uh, a Texan writer. Yeah, about that. He's going to tell you it's called The Crimson Eagle and it's supposed to come out in spring 88. Um, the plot was supposed to be that Joan and Jack, so Kathleen Turner and his character Jack, have two kids. And they go to Thailand, and they go black. They get blackmailed into stealing a, uh, a precious statue. But I think the most revealing thing of this is not that he's giving the fact that um, he's going to be making this film, but you know, Kathleen Turner's pregnant at this point, and so could he get away with an answer that he gives to? Well, is she coming? You know, is she coming back? She's going to be part of it. Let's look at the timeline that he gives Kathleen Turner, and you tell me if you think it would stand up in today's world. Uh, from Austin, Warren Scarron used to be head of your Texas Film Commission and uh, was a wonderful writer, uh, did Beverly Hills Cop 2 um, and the uh, Tom Cruise Top Gun film. And we're developing a, a third romancing called The Crimson Eagle, which we hope to shoot with Kathleen in the spring of next year. And she's expecting a baby or has she she's had it She's expecting a baby in November. We were going to do it earlier, but uh, she's expecting her baby in November and we'll give her a few months break and then get into it. Hurry up, get over your maternity thing, get back to work. We'll give you a few months, straight back into it. We need to make another sequel. We've got to do it. <clears throat> yeah. See, I'm not a fan of revisionist. I'm a big fan of the 80s, political correctness, in incorrectness and everything. It's fine. Chuck it all in. I don't think you should go back and change things. I think it's a moment at the time. But I just wanted to point out that I did love that answer when I, when I first heard it, because I'm like, yeah... It's more likely, why are you not going on? What's, you know, where's the paternity leave and everything these days? Oh, how times change. Michael, will you be at all uh, superstitious if I bring up the fact that I think there are some Oscar nominations in this movie? Oh, poor Michael. <laughs> in that one, uh, the bridesmaid, never the bride. He wasn't, as I, as I pointed out in Glenn Close, he wasn't even nominated, which must have been really harsh. But, he did win a golden camera uh, in the German Awards in 1990. I uh, shared it with Wall Street for Best International Actor. Um, so, yeah, you know, not bad. 
I won't be superstitious. It's it's nice to hear, Bobby. I that's that for me is icing on the cake. Uh, since they since they uh, give them out, it's always a wonderful acknowledgement because it is from your your peers, and um, you know we'll see. It's it's wonderful to hear, and I'm not superstitious. I like to hear it. As you look at your performance on screen, do you think that it's maybe the best or second best, or how would you rate it? I don't know. I'm one of those actors, unfortunately, who never enjoys himself on screen. I'm I'm kind of uh, extremely critical and harsh on myself, and I was being reminded of that earlier by my producers. So I really am a bad judge. As, as good as I may be as a producer when I'm doing that and aware of the overall film, or as good as I might be aware of how other people are doing, I really do not have a very, I'm a very poor judge uh, of my own work. Do you, um, uh, it, I lost my train of thought here, just saying. <clears throat> Come on, Bobby. <clears throat> um, there we go. Bring it back. Train of thought. It all happens to us all. Oh, okay. Okay. This time you did not have the control as producer. Mm -hmm. Was that difficult for you not to enter in and act as if you were the producer? No, I love it. I love it. Because when you're acting, you don't have to worry about anything else. And I think it's really important for my growth as an actor to do pictures from time to time where I'm not spreading myself uh, too thin. And I knew I was in wonderful hands with Adrian Lyne, who I've adored for a long time, and with Stanley Jaffe and Sherry Lansing, who are great producers. So they are t all talented enough that they are, and confident enough that they are willing to hear any suggestions <clears throat> I make, but it is ultimately their movie. So for me, it's really a joy, and uh, I've enjoyed this. And I have another picture called Wall Street uh, coming out with Oliver Stone, wrote it, directed it, Charlie Sheen, Daryl Hannah, uh, coming out at the end of the year, which I also only acted in. So I find from time to time, particularly as an actor, it's very important not to get involved in the production area, and it allows you some more chance to grow. Well... I don't know if it's growth or what, but there's a heck of a performance on, on screen. Oh, thank you, Bob. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I that. think the film is just going to do so well. Well, yeah. it's. Come it's March, a uh, we'll see if my predictions about the Academy Awards are true. Well, I'll, I'll go along with them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Michael, good to see nice you. Nice to see you, Bobby, really. Oh, brilliant. Excellent. Well, it was a success. Uh, it made it cost fifteen million to make, and it made three hundred and fifty million. So yeah, the the numbers don't lie on that one. Anyway, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, this is like in a compendium, as we said at the start, compendium, addendum, bit at the end, whatever. But just something that complements the main podcast. So if you do like it, can you give us a like? If you do like this podcast, if you like our other podcasts, just subscribe to the channel. That'd be wonderful. Um, if, if this doesn't hit, we won't do any more of them. But I just think, again, I'm so very happy that Bobby Wagant, uh, as uh, uh, certainly the, the production company, has given me uh, permission to use this. So I'm very appreciative, and I hope to use it on some of the other films that we're going to cover in Season 7, Lucky Dip. But otherwise, it's time to say cheerio.